This is the Come Follow Me podcast with Jaron Bunny. Each week, I'll get with a group of church members from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in the Los Angeles area to discuss the Come Follow Me manual. And I think like the biggest blessing that comes from trials is just the people that will stand by you and support you. It, it must have been so interesting, like delivering this message to people. Their interpretations, feelings, and insights to help you study. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Come Follow Me. If you really like this podcast, make sure to rate it on Apple iTunes. Give it a star, give it four, give it five. I don't know how many you can give it, but give it as many as you want. All right, so this episode, I got to talk to Erica and Rebecca. They're roommates and they're so cute. So let's get started. Come follow me, podcast. So today we are talking Second Corinthians one through seven. Be reconciled to God. Um, so this is a short one, but who am I here with today? <laughs> we both pointed at each other. <laughs> um, you're here with Erica and Rebecca, and you guys are roommates. We are roommates. How long have you guys been roommates? A little over a year. Oh, fun. And you guys are in the Santa Monica Ward. Yes. How long have you been in the Santa Monica Ward? A really long time. (laughs) Two uh, two and a half years for me. And I've been in the ward for four years. I know. Because Facebook told me today that it's our four-year anniversary. No way. So happy friend anniversary, Rebecca. (laughs) One of my first roommates in LA. Yeah, I know. Okay, so this um, lesson was really great. It was kind of to the point, I felt like. Um, We'll get started with it. So it first talks about how – so let's just talk about the very beginning of what this is. Second Corinthians is a response letter, again, by um, Paul. And you'll hear it says, sometimes being a church leader means having to say some difficult things. This was true in Paul's day, just as it is today. Apparently, a previous letter from Paul to the Corinthian saints included chastening and caused hurt feelings. I feel like his last letter in 1 Corinthians also was the same. <laughs> so I'm like, I could see how, I guess that's what they're talking about is that first letter. He was just kind of chastening and telling them about like all the things that they were doing wrong. And so it caused hurt feelings. I wish that sometimes we could see the response letters from this, like whoever he's writing back and forth, he's getting letters, but we don't have access to like those letters that they're, so it must've been like saints being like, our feelings are hurt (laughs) and we feel bad. Um, But in the letter that became second Corinthians, Paul tried to explain that what had motivated his harsh words was out of much um, affliction and anguish of heart. I wrote to you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have abundantly unto you. Um, and I wrote kind of like, this is kind of like a parent, but it's also like inspired by Christ-like love. Um, and then it kind of goes on and talks about, even in those cases, um, when, oh, like when a correction from a leader is what it's talking about. Um, if we're willing to see others with the kind of love Paul felt it's easier to respond appropriately to any offenses. And I love this quote by Holland. Be kind regarding human frailty, your own as well as what 
as well as that of those who serve with you in a church uh, led by volunteer mortal men and women, except in the case of his only begotten son, imperfect people are all God has ever had to work with, which is so great. Um, And do you guys have any feelings about this? Well, my initial reaction was, I don't like authority. So someone telling you that you're doing something wrong from a church stand, it's sometimes really hard to hear. It is hard to hear. And it doesn't always, and especially for this, it was just a a general letter to a bunch of people. It wasn't like someone who knows you one-on-one. I actually don't know how well they knew each other. Yeah. So sometimes you're like, oh, that's not relevant to me. Or like, how dare they say that? That's not applicable to me. If they only only understood my situation, it'd be different. But then hearing how it was so, it was written out of love and he just genuinely cared. Yeah. That softened my view of it because sometimes I'm like, they don't know me. They don't get me. But when it's coming from love, it's like, oh, they actually do care. I like that he was like emotional about it too. Because sometimes you're like, oh, they're like... A robot. They don't get me. But right. they, when they care so much, and that's when it's out of love and it's like thinking about like God and Jesus and how they love you and want you to be the best person. I'm like, okay, then it. Yeah. But I think correction is always very sensitive to people. It's yeah. hard. It's, it's hard to hear that you're doing something wrong. Especially when you're trying. And like, yeah. if you're already doing what you think you should be doing and then. And everyone has different opinions yeah. too. That it's like hard sometimes because people will say like, well, this is my opinion about this certain topic of the gospel, you know? And so it's, then we get like Holland or someone in the church that like really tells us like straight up, this is what this commandment is, or this is how we should be living. And it's hard to hear. Well, and like, I think something that's also interesting is I feel like Paul is kind of reflecting on how people can respond to harsh criticism. And he's telling them, you know, like accept things with love. And, and I think, Something that Bex and I were talking about earlier is how sometimes even just as a receiver of Mm -hmm. criticism, we have to look at our leaders as, because you hear stories all the time of how maybe a leader doesn't say something that tactfully and like they're delivering the message they're supposed to be and maybe like calling someone to repentance, but it's not, you're like, I'm not receiving this right. And I feel like they're doing this in a really bad way. And so as listeners and as followers of Christ, we have to also have like mercy towards them and kind of receive their correction with grace. And there's just so many examples of like how that can like go wrong, but also how that can go right. And I think that Elder Holland's quote there just kind of helps you remember that, that everyone in the church has weaknesses and frailties and we need to just be patient. Especially in callings. I think this comes up a lot. I've even had to quote this before to someone because I was like, listen, like I do make mistakes. We all do. And it's hard when people in callings are like, well, I want you to do this calling in a certain way. And we all are so unique and different about how we perceive things. And it's just, but it's a matter of like working together to move the work along. So I guess correction and alignment is necessary sometimes, but, um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, okay. So that's that part. I don't really have anything else to say about it. Moving on to second Corinthians one, three through seven, and then four, six through 10, 17 through 18, seven, four to seven. My trials can be blessings. And I said, 
Really? Question mark. <laughs> Are you sure about that? Are you sure? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that. No. And then I laughed at this next part. I just wrote a ha ha. I don't know why. Okay, let's read it. Given the tribulation that Paul faced in his ministry, it's not surprising that he wrote a lot about the purposes and blessings of tribulation. <laughs> I just laughed about it. I was like, yeah, I get it. I get Paul. Um, and then it talks about, for example, you might ponder how God comforteth you in all your tribulation and how you can in turn comfort them which are in any trouble. And I also, from previous Come Follow Me's, I love this quote and it's on page 127 of the manual. And we had already talked about it in a previous um, episode, but it's by Sister Linda S. Reeves. Does someone want to read that? I can read it. Okay. I do not know why we have the many trials that we have, but it is my personal feeling that the reward is so great, so eternal and everlasting, so joyful and beyond our understanding, that in that day of reward, we may feel to say to our merciful, loving Father, was that all that was required? I believe that if we could daily remember and recognize the depth of that love our Heavenly Father and our Savior have for us, we would be willing to do anything to be back in their presence again, surrounded by their love eternally. What will it matter? What we suffered here, if in the end, those trials are the very things which qualify us for eternal life and exaltation in the kingdom of God with our Father and Savior. I love that. I love it because it's just like, it makes trials like have a purpose behind it that I wrote, there are bless- we, um, trials are blessings because they are the very thing that qualifies us for eternal life. And I love that part of it. It's like a better perspective on it. Mm-hmm. Um but I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, I think looking back at this last year, it was a very difficult year. And it's looking, it's hard to think about what made it so hard. Like I, yeah. I remember it being like very hard and difficult to go through. But then I think about how much I've grown and I see the blessings and the friendships I've developed that have people that have helped support me. And it's hard to be like, wow, it was so hard. I think about, wow, I grew so much. Yeah. And I found so many people that could help me and support me. And lift me up. Yeah. That I am more grateful than like, why did that happen to me? I'm so mad, you know? Right. It was like for a purpose. Yeah. And I'm just grateful. I'm like, wow, I have the greatest people in my life. Yeah. I was able to grow. I had this, like a a, a, a good place to grow. Right. right. Yeah. And like the trial was like your good soil in a way. Yeah. And like, I feel like I was placed in a, a circumstance that I could feel be supported while like I went through all that. Yeah. It's like a tender mercy. Mm-hmm. I'm just like picturing like, you know, like a plant that you have like a <laughs> stick and it's like tied to the stick a little yes. bit. And so it can grow totally. straight. Yeah. It's like that, that stick helped you grow up straight. I don't know how we could liken this, but I'm <laughs> picturing in my mind. Well, no. And then they're, the plant is stronger because yeah, it has this. that. Growing towards the light. It's what's the um, at night when you want the sunset, you want your light. What's that called? <laughs> what is it? When you like you want the sun, you want that good sun. And you like yeah, you yeah. found the good light. The, the good light. The, the, best, good, the, the best, best lighting. lighting. I don't know where you like <laughs> good lighting. Yeah, I think I know yeah. what you're talking about. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and also just trials, I feel like and Bex has like a really good story about this. If you want to share, which one about your grandma? Oh, I feel like that's trials can well, they, I, empathy. Yeah, empathy. I think yeah. that's the biggest thing. So when I was 
14 or 15, uh, my dad dropped this huge stump on my foot. And Ooh, on accident. On accident. We were, unloading, <laughs> we were unloading a trailer and it fell on my foot and like it swelled. And I went to the hospital, got a x-ray. They thought it wasn't fractured, but they didn't know because it was so swollen that they thought oh, it could have no. been. So I was in a boot on crutches for a week. And I was so mad because I had How to stop playing. I was like 15, I think. Okay. So I had to stop playing tennis and my sister was still playing and I was like really mad. But my grandma had, um, when she was in her 40s, got cancer in her knee. So one of her legs was like three inches shorter from the all of the treatments. And so she had been in crutches for like over, I don't even know, 30 plus years. And I'd always like viewed her as so slow. And like I, she was like, Grandma, keep up. Like we're always waiting for you. And she lived in the basement. She always had to come up to get dinner every night. And she'd just go up and down the stairs. And I'm like, you're so slow. Um, and then I was on crutches. And I feel like it exp- like allowed my heart to grow and just see what it was like for her to be on crutches and just the the limitations. You can't go anywhere so fast and you, you need people to help you. And I felt like it helped me just love her and see her in a different light. And then a few months later, she um, got diagnosed with cancer again, and then she was put on hospice. So I felt like in those months before she got diagnosed again, I would go to down to her apartment every night and give her a hug and just be like, I love you. I'm so grateful you live in the basement because like before I wasn't as grateful for her. I took her for, um, took her for granted. And then it helped me just know what it was like to be in her position. Oh yeah. And like grow closer to her. yeah, before she passed away. So wow. yeah. it was good. It worked out and I was, I was mad is- at it, but then I was, now I'm grateful that it helped me just love her more. That in her is final like months. the perfect story in case scenario <laughs> for this podcast. Rebecca, you were meant to be on the podcast to share that story. I'm like, good you. That is beautiful because that's exactly what it's about. It's like having those trials, you understand others, you have empathy. It becomes a blessing mm-hmm. in disguise. Yeah. And I think like the biggest blessing that comes from trials is just the people that will stand by you and support you and looking at their lives and knowing that they've been through so much and they get it and they'll help you and they'll stand by you. I think that's the biggest blessing. And I think that's how God shows his his love is by putting those people in your life that will lift you and they'll come and sit with you when you're crying or like help you with anything. It's like compassion. It's compassion. Yeah. And just love and just being like, I'm so sorry you're hurting. The gospel of Jesus Christ is pure love. It is. And we're done. <laughs> <I'm just laughs> Drop the mic. That's it. Get out of here. Okay. Any other comments? Any other? No? Okay, cool. we're going to move on. Second Corinthians 2, 5 through 11. I receive blessings and bless others when I forgive. So uh, this part... Um, says, we don't know much about the man Paul referred to. Oh, yeah. I wrote down mystery man. <laughs> <laughs> we felt the same way We because we both read it. And we were like, we didn't see this as a man. We saw this as like. Just men. Just yeah. yeah. I was like, who, same. who came and I was up like, with the man? Yeah, there's a <laughs> mystery <laughs> man. So I guess like. It, yeah, Taylor said. It's like, man. <laughs> I guess there must have been like a, a response to like someone writing about this yeah. man. Mm-hmm. Right? And so um, we only know that he had transgressed. This was in verses five through six, and that Paul wanted the saints to forgive him. Um, It says, why do we sometimes fail to confirm our love towards someone who has offended us? And then how does withholding forgiveness harm others and ourselves? Um, So I was thinking about this and I'm like, why do sometimes we fail to confirm love 
to someone who offended us. I think for me, it's like, because I'm always like, I think I was right in that scenario. (laughs) It's hard sometimes to like see the other person's point of view or sometimes when they reject your forgiveness. That's really hard too because it's like, I'm trying to forgive you and you're not allowing me to forgive you. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. No, I totally agree. I think it's interesting because when you think about forgiveness and and especially the last little part of this it says um what does it mean to you that withholding forgiveness from others gives satan an advantage of us and you're like well it sounds so dark and like yeah but really like if you think about how you feel when you're holding a grudge or when you haven't forgiven someone you're full of so much like darkness and negativity and you're just consumed it like eats away at you it does and i think just the coolest thing about the atonement and and also, like, you see – and I don't know how to explain this. I feel like the the way you can tell that this is such a universal concept is that you see elements of this in, like, other religions and other mm-hmm. – like, even just people who are spiritual, how they talk about, like, letting go of everything and just, like – Yeah, I was reading a self-help book and it yeah, was about it. Yeah. And, and it's just – and it talks about, like, letting go of all those negative feelings and yeah. then, like, getting back in touch with, like, yourself and just, like – the universe, the universe. Or, like, <laughs> or like God, God and yeah. like the love of God and like loving our fellow men and how when we're able to let go of all these negative feelings and forgive yeah. or like give all of those negative feelings to Christ through yeah. the atonement, then we're able to fill ourselves with like hope and peace and love and light again. And yeah. I feel like that's, that's like the thing that I got most out of this, that the blessings that we receive when we forgive others is just like peace within ourselves yeah. again there's this quote though i found about forgiveness let's see if i can find it i think i highlighted it because i thought it was really good oh here it is yeah. okay this is in sometimes i i look in different things this is like some teacher manual <laughs> so It says, forgiving someone does not mean that the sinner should not be held accountable for his or her actions, nor does it mean putting ourselves in a situation in which people can continue to mistreat us. Rather, forgiving others means treating with Christ-like love those who have mistreated us and harboring no resentment or anger towards them, which would affect our own spiritual progression. And it kind of talks more about like people that are victim of abuse or whatnot, like, um, you should trust the Savior that he will heal and forgive you, but you should also protect yourself in those situations. But I, I think it's true. It's like, um, you know, get out of that situation if someone is mistreating you, um, but letting the letting that go. Giving, um, it, to the giving it to the Savior is the most important part. And also just loving yourself too. If it takes you a, a couple of months or even years to forgive that person, just being kind with yourself and not being upset that it takes you longer because some things are so complicated and the hurt is so deep that it might take a while and yeah trying your best to forgive them and love yourself for sure okay so now we're going on to second corinthians 5 14 through 21 through the atonement of jesus christ i can be reconciled to god um, so then this one, it talks about as much as anyone, Paul knew what it was like to become a new creature. Do you guys remember the story of Saul slash Paul? Does anyone want to talk about it? Cause it is a crazy story. You want me to talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So like 
he was Saul before he was Paul, right? And he was working for, I don't know, government? Like the, what was it? The Romans. The Romans. Right? I don't know. He, he was a, was he a tax collector? He was like persecuting the the Christians. Like he mm-hmm. was like after the Christians and he like sought after people that believed in Christ. And then he gets a vision about Jesus Christ or from Jesus Christ. And then he's like, well, I believe this. I'm a believer. Yeah. And then he goes on a mission. And so he had the biggest like 180, I feel like, in the scriptures. Um, So he knew for himself how Jesus, who knew no sin, can take away our sin and give us his righteousness, restoring us to unity with God. So as we read these verses, think about what it means to be reconciled to another person. How does this help you understand what it means to be reconciled to God? And then they have just personal questions to ponder what might be separating you from God. What do you need to do more completely to reconcile with him? But we can talk about also just like that coming back togetherness. Um, I feel like Sometimes I I liken this to like, have you ever just had a cold where you're like, I just don't feel like myself totally. when you're just like, oh, I just feel like I just want to be like myself again. Mm-hmm. I want to have that energy. I don't want that stuffy nose anymore. You know what I mean? You're just like, ugh. and when it's gone, you're like, I can breathe again. <laughs> and it's like the best feeling. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel like the atonement of Jesus Christ is. It's like, ugh, I don't, like right now I've been eating a lot of sugar. I'm like, my clothes don't fit. I don't feel like myself. And then once I start eating those vegetables again, poof, I feel like myself again. (laughs) Magic. (laughs) Magic. But yeah, I don't know. I just feel like um, it's a beautiful feeling. And I love that it's so universal that we can all feel it's like everyone has such different use cases, mm-hmm. but it's all very similar yeah. using the atonement. And I feel like it's such a gradual process at times too. Like you'll feel like you're not changing or whatever. And then yeah. you'll look back at a year and you're like, wow, I have really um, changed. And like, I won't say like become a new creature, but you've developed and you, I don't know, have just become more Christ-like, more thoughtful, more yeah. forgiving of others. And I, it's cool to see that progress, to yeah. see how it's been applied. They have this picture of, like, the caterpillar and the butterfly. I Google <laughs> which how many insects actually go through more metamorphosis. Oh, how many? 88%, according what? to some study. Yeah, they go through, like, it's four stages, and I don't know about all the scientific Wait, but jargon, 88 but creatures do? 88% of insects at some oh, point, go through some kind of metamorph- metamorphosis. Whoa! I can send you my source because I know, like I don't know what I'm speaking. That's a fun tidbit. Um, hmm. <laughs> I'm taking that in. <laughs> but no, any other comments? Any other thoughts? We're like speeding through. <laughs> we got one more section, guys. Second um, Corinthians seven eight through eleven. All right. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Um, It says, we don't usually think of sorrow as a good thing, but Paul spoke of godly sorrow. It's a necessary part of repentance. And then it says, consider what you can learn about godly sorrow. Um, And then also, when have you felt godly sorrow and what effect did it have in your life? And then I found a quote because I'm always finding those quotes. Let me see if I, oh, repentance. So I took their advice and went to the gospel topics. And it says, sorrow for sin. In order to be forgiven, we must first acknowledge within ourselves that we have sinned. 
if we are striving to live the gospel, such as an acknowledgement will lead to godly sorrow, which worketh repentance to salvation. I like this part. Godly sorrow does not come because of the natural consequences of sin or because of fear of punishment. Rather, it it comes from the knowledge that we have through our actions displeased our Heavenly Father and our Savior. We have experienced godly sorrow. We have a sincere desire for change and willingness to submit to every requirement for forgiveness. I love that because it's like, it's your feeling, you know, it's your feeling of like love to Heavenly Father to be like, I'm doing this wrong. I I should be corrected um, and repent. And I love that it's not because of like, oh, I feel guilty because or I feel like I need this punishment or any kind of weird situation in that case. It's more like comes from internal within like you really want to make a change. Yeah. Well, and it's kind of like um, like your actual parents like because I don't know when you read the word godly sorrow, it sounds so like like yikes. Ooh, that's that's like kind of intense. And I, I mean, if you think about who Heavenly Father is and who Jesus Christ are and how much they love us. Yeah. It's it's not like a – it's similar to – and Bex was saying this earlier – how, like, if you, like, disappoint your parents yeah. or you did something against what they wanted you to do. And it's not like they're – I mean, most parents, hopefully not. But it's not like they're going to, like, hate you forever. It's more right. just, like, you, like, disappoint them or yeah. you, like, make them sad and, like, that horrible feeling of – Disappointing yeah, disappointing them because yeah. you know that they want better for you and you want better for yourself. And yeah. so I feel like godly sorrow, it's it's something that and it's hard because I was thinking it like there's a question that says, When have you felt godly sorrow in your life? And I'm like, Well, I've never murdered someone. So like I don't know. Like I haven't <laughs> I, it's not like I, I feel this like horrible feeling, but it's almost I feel like godly sorrow can be just like the absence of the spirit. And so yeah. maybe it's just I mean, they talk about like stupor of thought or like just like absence of the spirit like an absence of peace and so maybe it's not this like super deep godly sorrow i hate everything in my life and i'm filled with darkness but it's just like i'm missing a little bit of that light Mm -hmm. and it's gonna push me to try to do things to get closer to god again yes yes and it's interesting that you can really feel it like that light dwindling Mm -hmm. and then when it's back it's like whoo it's like a fire inside of you. <laughs> something even with friends, you know, if you like send a text or something, you say yeah. something, you're like, and you don't know if you offended them. And it's just like something small, but you feel so awful. Yeah. You're like, oh my gosh, I hurt their feeling. It's like something like that where you feel it's similar. Right. You just want to make it right. And you're like, I'm so sorry that I got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that was the end. There's like little parts. At the very, I said, if time, we could go into this. Yeah, we actually really, we were talking about. Were you talking about? Okay, great. So So, they're interesting. Okay, what parts would you want to talk about? Um, Well, like personally, I really, I something I think about a lot is the very last one. Okay. And it's 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. Mm -hmm. And um, because I think especially, like I've been out in LA for like two and a half years now. And it, I was at BYU before and some very different environments. Yeah. But um, the question says, how can we follow Paul's counsel to come out from among the unrighteous and be separate while also being good examples to those around us? And it's something that, like, you know, when I was in Utah, surrounded by members of the church, everyone's yeah. like loving it that, yeah. you know, you don't have to 
be separate from anyone and everyone's doing the same thing you are. But then when you come into an environment where people believe different things than you and live their lives in different ways, I really had to kind of grapple with this because in, in my opinion, it's, I, I shouldn't, I didn't want to like separate myself from these people because, you know, they have wonderful things to offer and like, what a better way to be a missionary than be with them. And so I feel like just something that I think is so important as a member of the church is to constantly like physically be with these other people and be a good example. Yeah. Obviously keeping time for yourself to be able to like nourish yourself spiritually and, you know, like ponder and pray and all of those things that keep you close to God, but being with people that might not have a connection with God in their life is just, it's like, it can only do good things when you're just constantly with those people because like when you're surrounded by people that don't have the presence of God in their life and they see that you do, or they know that you're someone that is comfortable talking about things like that. Like you want to be there for those situations when they could be curious or look for spirit or the love of God somewhere. Um, I also, I love being different. There's like something inside of me that I love being unique and different than other Mm -hmm. people. So I think it's sometimes fun to, I don't know, to talk about God and like talk to other people about their beliefs because I don't think that there could be any harm with being different. I think it's interesting and it's good for everyone to, um, it just increases tolerance and love and Mm -hmm. compassion to others. So for me, I've I've always seen it as like a positive thing, Mm -hmm. especially here in LA. Yeah. I like love it. I thrive in it. Mm -hmm. And it's just fun to hear about other people, how they access like God's power, like whatever their higher power is that they relate to. It's fun to see how it's similar and yet different from ours and how like it's some, some aspects very similar, but also, you know, obviously other ones, but that's cool too. Yeah. I just love talking about religion with other people. I do too. It's really cool. It's fun. Well, and yeah, it just, it shouldn't be an exclusive thing. I think I grew up very afraid to talk about religion with people Mm -hmm. because I was scared and like, well, I remember like high school, it was like, I grew up in California and at times they would take like other religions would take courses to bash us. And so it was scary at times to like talk about your religion. Mm -hmm. But now as an adult, I don't feel that way at all. Yeah. Well, I think people are just, I mean, there are so few people who are religious now that it's almost like. It's rare. Yeah. And it's, and it's similar to like other people find, you know, it's not religion, but they find their life's purpose and other things like meditation or like yoga. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Like there's so many other things. And so when they have that same respect for how they find purpose in their lives and they know that you have a way to find purpose in your life, it's almost like they respect that because they know that it's necessary to like being a complete human. Right. And yeah. So I just feel like ever since I've been out here, it's like, it's, it's almost like easier to broach the subject because I think so too. Everyone's kind of looking for that. Yes. Yeah. Um, great. Well, guys, we did it. (laughs) Wasn't that scary? No, it was great. I forgot to ask this question um, overall, but I'll ask it now. Overall feelings with these um, verses and chapters. Um, I mean, I think it's... Well, something that I was really curious about and I, like, was looking on the internet, couldn't find, but I'm like, how are these letters being delivered? 
to, you know what I mean? Because yeah. I'm like, I was looking at on some like Bible Hub article that yeah. was like, you know, like Paul wrote this letter and then probably gave it to like a trusted friend or like someone who was employed by him who yeah. like took it to these people and like, did he read it? in a church did he read it on a corner did he like handwrite all these copies and put them at every house like i'm so curious how this was delivered how many times it was delivered i read something about all of these letters having like hundreds of editions so oh, like wow yeah because they had to copy it by hand in order yeah. to get it out to more people and so I, I don't know i'm just so curious to like how this was being received because when we get like letters from the first presidency, yeah. it's like it's available online. Yeah. We get it right over the pulpit in like a very in our even tone. <laughs> yeah. We get it in an email. And it's like it, it must have been so interesting, like delivering this message to people. And then like, yeah. how are you getting feedback from people? How does he you know? Just, like, get the letter like, I'm upset, and they go off and handwrite yeah. something. Are people like handwriting they... responses? Or is there multiple responses or is there one big response? Yeah. Do they tell the messenger? The messenger goes it? back to Paul and said, The people I read this to were Honestly, pissed. I understand why there was so much confusion and because oh, yeah. like it's not organized yeah. really well. And it's months. <laughs> Months before yeah. you hear anything. Yeah. You, know, you and, don't know how long. In take. the beginning of his letter, Paul's like, I was going to come by. And then, like, I heard it was a little weird, so I didn't come by. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, here's a letter to address it. I'm yeah. like, whoa. Like, it was an intense. And intense. they were upset. They were yeah. like, you should have came by. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and then he ends it with, like, greet each other with a holy kid. I don't know. It's just, it's interesting. It's I'd like when you to... text someone instead of actually having the conversation face to face. I walked by you, but wasn't ready to talk about it yet. Yeah. But maybe that's the best way to do it. That's Hilarious. Yeah. But overall, mine was just it echoed God's love. And I thought that was a beautiful message throughout. Yeah. And it also echoes like how much Paul really cared yeah. and how much like, you know, leaders of the church really, truly do care. And um, I like just the tidbits makes him so human too. Just like how he was faced with a lot of tribulation and how he wrote about it a lot because he was dealing with it a lot. So he gets it. He gets it. Mm-hmm. He gets it. So I feel like these um, chapters, and I've never like really connected with Corinthians before until now where I'm like, I like kind of understand the saints at that time a little bit more, Yeah, which is really cool. Totally. Um, or when I first was reading these chapters, I was trying to imagine if someone were like reading this to me and this was like the only – like revelation or like new news yeah, that or I'm like, getting about the gospel. What scriptures are they? Do yeah, they have totally. Really, because this because we were looking it up and it's like 20 years after Christ died, right? And so they're like they're like kind of removed from when the gospel is being preached, and, and they probably really only know Old Testament stuff. Yeah, so they're probably like still thinking about. Like, I think they are thinking about the Law of Moses a totally. little bit. I think it talks about that in these chapters, and they're like, no, 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 no more of that. <laughs> so. <laughs> Reminder. Reminder. But no, it's great. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you. Yeah.